Welcome back everyone to season four of the Kelly Mental Health Podcast located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Throughout this season, CEO Linda Kelly will be chatting with people from many walks of life across the world about a variety of mental health and wellness topics. Please keep in mind that this is not a substitution for counseling. If you would like to talk to a licensed therapist, please visit us at www.kellymentalhealth.com. In this episode, Kelly Hollinen joins me to discuss the focus of her therapy practice, working with survivors of sexual assault. As a survivor herself, having experienced post-traumatic stress disorder and going through the secondary trauma of trying to report her experience and facing scrutiny, self-doubt, and a worsening of her symptoms along the way, Kelly explains common reasons why survivors of sexual assault struggle to speak out. And even when they do, how rarely seeing true justice for crimes committed against them can impact their mental health. Kelly Hollinen is a social worker and psychotherapist at Kelly Mental Health who specializes in treating just this kind of trauma. For more info, visit her page at kellymentalhealth.com. Hello. <laughs> so Kelly is joining us uh, to talk about actually a very very important topic. I'll let you take it away. Why do you want to talk about this particular topic and tell us about it, Kelly? So May is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, That holds very close to my heart. A lot of my practice, I try and work with a lot of sexual assault survivors and try to help them through the trauma they have faced and trying to find their story and who they are again. The reason why this is so close to me is because in 2015, I was sexually assaulted and I developed PTSD from it and I ended up having to go through my own healing journey with everything that came with that. So this has been a really personal um, experience for you and something that you're feeling very strongly about spreading the word about and uh, yeah, I've written a, or I've read a lot of your writing on the topic and uh, there's there's a lot of time that you spend on just understanding you know what is it exactly and I'm just curious you know why do you think people don't get what that is what sexual assault is I think a lot of times when people hear the word sexual assault they think it means only rape I see that a lot, especially with my younger clients is, let's say this situation that happened and they'll be like, you know, that sexual assault and they don't think anything of it because it wasn't full penetration, but it really is. Sexual assault is a wide range of things. It's unwanted sexual touching in any way, kissing, grabbing somebody's ass. Oh, but, um, (laughs) you know, just anything like that. And I think it's also hard when you're in it. When I was sexually assaulted, I had my HBSW. I was educated. And yet I didn't know until months after that I was actually raped. I knew something wasn't right. But because I was in a relationship with this man, I kind of brushed it off. I didn't think anything of it. I kind of just thought, okay, it it just happened. It just, he was just a little pushy, next time will be better. And then after things kind of ended, and even while we were together, I just kept getting intrusive thoughts and really nightmares about that time. 
and I didn't know why. And I ended up actually going to see a counselor for um, a different reason. And this started coming up and finally the person labeled it like what happened to you was rape. And it's kind of like a light bulb went off in my head like, oh my God, he's right. This is what happened to me. And so even somebody who's educated on the subject might be kind of blinded to what happened to them because they don't want to admit what happened to them or because it was by somebody they knew, so they don't want to believe that person could do that to them. And I mean, in sexual assault cases, 80% of the time, the perpetrator is known to the victim. Right. So the, you're, you're talking about a really significant divide in the, uh, the understanding of, or even the, I don't even want to say comprehension of it. It's almost like your body, your mind knew it. But cognitively, you know, that your thought process wasn't there. Yeah, I tried to kind of shut it out. You know, this happened in the middle. We weren't together long, so this happened in the beginning, middle of a relationship. And, you know, I still had feelings for him. So I'm like, no, somebody I care about, somebody who cares about me, they wouldn't do this to me. So that can't be what it is. So I kind of just went into denial. What purpose does denial serve in surviving something like this? Denial can help you in a multitude of ways, um, especially if you're not prepared to fully deal with what has happened to you. It's kind of like you said, a survival mode. You know, you're just, instead of facing what happened, you're just hiding under a rock and you're protecting yourself that way instead of letting this traumatic event in and possibly shatter you. Mm-hmm. And do would you say that a lot of people stay in that state of denial for like a very long time or even indefinitely? Absolutely, you can. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of factors would influence the person, even like yourself in that situation, uh, to feel safe enough to address what happened? The biggest thing for me was a support system. So somebody that I could open up and talk to. I remember the first time I kind of mentioned anything, it was to my mom. I said, you know, I've been, I've been having these thoughts and I feel like something wasn't right. And part of me was scared to tell her, which I mean, there's no reason to be. Obviously she was very, loving and supportive but I think I was just so confused I didn't want her to be mad or to be disappointed and when I told her and she was great and loving that kind of helped me and then as I went on and kind of told my friends they were also very supportive and that I could kind of talk about this and the more I kind of talked about it the more I started to realize what had happened to me And the way that you approached, you know, your friends or your mom, it sounds like you didn't expect them to be that supportive. No, I mean, logically looking at it, of course they would be. (laughs) They love me. They haven't been mean and critical in the past. But I think it's because it was something that made me so vulnerable, that made me feel so unsure about myself who I was and what I went through, it made it hard to talk to them about it and even just get any response from them. 
you know, I'm trying, it's like you're a nerve ending and you're afraid to touch something because you're afraid it might make it worse. Right. So this is, uh, this is such a, a widespread uh, issue that comes up. Obviously, we saw a lot of that with the Me Too movement. We saw so many people coming out and I saw a lot of people being ridiculed for it. Did you notice that a lot of the same? Yes, absolutely. Uh, victim blaming is one of the biggest things that comes with sexual assault. And there's a variety of reasons for this. You know, a lot of people don't want to believe that this could happen to them. So they try and look at the victim for what could set them apart. Oh, she was wearing a short dress. Well, I don't wear a short dress, so there's no way this is ever going to happen to me. They try and set themselves away from what could possibly happen to them and look for ways to blame the victim for what happened to do this. I even faced that and it made me mad. You know, I, when I was seeing this guy, we were actually working together and this kind of happened, part of it happened at a workplace. So I ended up going through an internal investigation and everything. And I remember the investigator, who was a woman, blatantly asking me, well, what were you wearing? I'm like, it was March. I was wearing a, a winter coat and like I was going to work. So it's not like I was wearing anything revealing. Like, and I was just so taken aback by it. Mm-hmm. So we, I just want to take a quick break, um, but I'd really like to know a little bit more just about some of the questions that you were asked and a lot of the things that people face when they are trying to report a sexual assault. So stay with us and we'll be back shortly. Life is difficult and also beautiful. It inspires us. It breaks us down and challenges us to be stronger than we ever thought we could be. At Kelly Mental Health, our job is to help you do just that to navigate through the tougher times, to manage when life just doesn't make sense, and to help you flourish because sometimes a little help is all you need. Let's talk. So Kelly, we were just touching on a bit of the, the Me Too movement and uh, some of the questions that people are asked when they are reporting. You mentioned that you were asked what you were wearing and why do you think they felt that was relevant? There are some reasons where people, you know, well, what were you wearing to try and see if your memory is good from that night? To try and see if you were causing it in some way, which is so outdated and ridiculous. And you know what? Even if you don't remember what you were, you were wearing, that's fine because it was a traumatic memory, you know? Traumatic memories aren't always crystal clear. They're traumatic for a reason. Sometimes you don't get all your memories back from that event. It wasn't until I went through EMDR therapy that I got more memories back. I still don't know the exact date that I was raped. I know it's between these two dates, but I couldn't tell you the exact one because it was just a traumatic time and it was locked in my brain. But people try to use that to discredit what you've been through. Yes. Okay, well, you don't remember this important fact, so you must be lying. This must be false. We can just throw this out and pretend like it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I've also heard people talk about the fact that if you 
if you don't immediately turn around and report it, uh, if you try to remain friends afterwards, that it looks really bad on you. Like they don't take you as seriously. Absolutely. I stayed in a relationship with the person. You know, it's, well, why would you stay in a relationship if this happened? Well, why would you try and still be friends with him if this happened? And it's because I, I didn't know what happened. I know part of me cared for him and I know part of me knew something messed up happened, but I was trying to hide that part. I was in denial about that part. And I'm a caring person. I try and still reach out and be friends with people and make sure everything's nice, especially when I work with the person, you know, when things end, you don't want things to be awkward. So you still want to try and make things seem okay. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about as well, you know, I think a lot of us just assume that sexual assault or rape is something that happens late at night when you're out by yourself, uh, someone chases you down, right? It's like it's the stranger ideology. But you're saying that 80% of the time that it happens, the perpetrator is known to the, to the person that is being assaulted, right? Absolutely. It is someone that's close. It is someone that you have your guard down around. It's someone that you think you know and you assume that they would never do such a thing. And that's why it can be so hard after to even come to terms with what happened to you and even confront what happened to you. You know, you hear that a lot of the times when it's within the family. It's, well, people didn't believe me or why would they believe me? You know, they know Uncle Bob so well, they don't think he would do this. Why would they believe a child over Uncle Bob? Mm -hmm. right. But we just, we just don't know, right? We can't, we can't create the narrative for someone else's perspective. and. Um, like many people, like you said, it, it's difficult to know and to be able to pinpoint the fact that this happened to you. I, I'd imagine also because if you accept that it happened to you, you're also accepting that now there's steps to be taken. Now you have to heal. Now you have to make a decision of whether or not to report. Yes, absolutely. And that's a whole decision in itself. You know, I thought about that. It was, I was raped in March, and I kind of talked to the police in December, and he took my statement, which he didn't even write down correctly, unfortunately. He made it seem like nothing ever happened when I got a copy of the report after. He didn't even use my language or what I said, and he flat out told me, because you stayed in a relationship with him, the cross defense will tear you apart and the chances of anything happening are slim. And that's the unfortunate thing with our justice system, is that you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this happened to you. And if you miss say one thing, if you forget one thing, they'll use that and say this didn't happen to you. But with traumatic memories, there's parts that you don't remember, there's parts that you don't forget because your brain is trying to protect you from this traumatic event. That's why out of 100 people, only six end up reporting to the police. And out of those six, only 2% are actually convicted. And usually that conviction is something small, such as probation, barely jail time. How many false reports do we see? So out of that 6% that actually report, out of that 
only two, about 2% two of that is false. Wow. Rarely is this a false reporting. It does happen, absolutely. But it's not as common and as rampant as people believe. It seems like the reporting on that is really is really amplified like Absolutely. the way that the way that um the media or wh whoever kind of pick it up and run with it say you know oh this person reported this falsely they deserve to be um you know punished and uh so it just seems more common than it actually is and it's another way to help protect our worldview you know if people are out there false reporting then it makes it seem like all of these cases must be false so there isn't a huge problem with sexual assault and I'm safe and the world is safe. Right. It's the changing of the worldview. So that's really interesting. You mentioned that they, if you, if you accept that it happened to you, your worldview then changes that the world is no longer a safe place. And so you're saying almost like as a, as a, our collective society chooses the same, we choose not to believe it because of what otherwise there is a problem that has to be addressed. Absolutely. And there is a chance that it could happen to you or somebody you know. When chances are there is somebody you know who has been sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. what is, do you recall what the statistics are for men and women um, experiencing a sexual assault in their lifetime? One in three women and one in six men. And that's reported. In these statistics, uh, not always reported to the police, no. Oh, okay, I see. So it is incredibly common. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So, okay, so we're just going to take another short break. And when we return, we're going to talk a little bit more about the impact of sexual assault on a person's mental health. Stay with us. Did you know that standing with your hands on your hips, chest pushed out, and chin up like a superhero is a good way to combat anxiety? And belly breathing a few minutes a day keeps us calmer so we can think clearly. Or what about using the win method with someone you love to make sure your needs are met? With online sessions, you can learn skills like this with the therapists at Kelly Mental Health. It's going to be okay. We can help. To find out more, visit us at kellymentalhealth.com. Hi, I'm Linda Kelly, your host, recording from home. And I have Kelly with me. We're talking about sexual assault, as it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month in May. And despite all the other things going on in our world right now, this is a very important issue to talk about, particularly since sexual assault is very, very common. And there's also been increased reports of domestic violence during the time that people are home in self-isolation. And sometimes it's really difficult to figure out whether or not this has happened to you. So Kelly was very um, interested in coming on the show to talk about her experience, as well as to share information that people uh, can use to figure out if something has happened to you and next steps that they can take. So Kelly, uh, as I was mentioning about the domestic violence um, issues that are happening now, uh, you mentioned even uh, being sexually sexually assaulted while you're in a relationship can be that much more difficult to come back from. Uh, I was just curious about your thoughts about people that are in, are in relationships right now uh, in isolation. Do you feel like there is more danger? Is there anything that they should be 
considering thinking about doing to protect themselves? Absolutely, there's increased danger. I mean, they're stuck at home with somebody who is abusing them, who has abused them. And the stress from the pandemic, the stress from being in isolation is going to make that person more irritable and more likely to lash out and cause the abuse. So right now, it's really important to try and take steps to ensure your safety. You know, try and think about your safety plan if you have one. And if not, make one. You know, who can you call? If this is happening to you, where can you go? Can you go to a family or a friend's house or even Faye Peterson or Bindigan? Call the police. Is there anybody else you can call to help get you out of there? Do you think that having plans like this, like a safety net, is this important just for people that are in abusive relationships? Absolutely. Not even if you're just in abusive relationships. Even if it's physically, obviously, but if it's verbally if it's psychologically because you don't know when or if it may turn physical so it's important to have these plans so that you know what to do if this abuse starts and you have options to try and get out of there mm -hmm. I, I really want to also bring some attention to the fact that men can be victims too and uh, one of the articles that you had written in the past and we, we actually got a, a a lot of uh, attention from that just because it's not often talked about you know for example if uh, a man is with his partner and they're they're stuck in lockdown a lot of times uh, if it's an abusive relationship that person can be manipulated they can be told that you know you have to do this stuff otherwise I'll report you you know I will I'll say that you hurt me you abused me um, men are often abused when they're intoxicated and they are taught not to talk about it, right? Because they, they come off, um, or they, people will think that they're just being wussy or not, you know, being appreciative that they've been able to have sex. Yeah. There's a lot more stigma around men, sexual assault survivors, because they say that they, you know, oh, well, you, you just wanted it anyway. Well, why wouldn't you want sex? Well, you got hard, didn't you? And that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Sexual organs, vagina, penis, they don't understand bad touch from good touch. They understand touch, and that is what they respond to. So if you were sexually assaulted, and you were hard, you were wet, and you even orgasmed, because that is possible, it does not mean that it wasn't sexual assault. It means that your sexual organs were doing their job, because they cannot differentiate between wanted and unwanted touch. Mm -hmm. that, that's a really important factor, I think, to bring up because there's so much shame uh, when we do respond. There's many, many reports of uh, people that have been victimized and, and they feel like, you know, well, I must have wanted it, right, because I did respond. Or, and that's not true. You know, you're saying that your body, a healthy human body responds that way to any kind of touch. So Absolutely. that's okay. What kind of mental health issues do you see coming up after someone's been victimized? A lot. <laughs> I know, like I said, I developed PTSD. I went through bad depression where some days I just didn't even want to get out of bed. My anxiety became heightened. I was easily startled and triggered by almost everything. My self-esteem was down you know I thought I was worthless and just damaged goods and I believed that it had 
just destroyed me. It just had wrecked me. And it takes a while to heal. And you still have days like that. You still have days where you feel like bad <laughs> and try not to swear. And that's part of the healing process. The more you heal, the less frequent those days will be, but it's normal to have those. So it's definitely a series of ups and downs, as well as it can develop into something much, much worse. And uh, we always talk about with depression, depression is often a feeling of disconnection. So if you've experienced something you feel like no one else would understand, you're going to feel disconnected, right? You're, you're not going to feel supported and that's going to uh, push those issues with depression. It's going to make it a lot worse. So one of the things that you mentioned in terms of challenging and fighting the shame, fighting against, you know, that victimization uh, was just trying to let people know that it's not their fault. It's people, not their fault and they're not alone. Yeah. They're not the only people who've been through this. Everybody's experience is individual and unique. No two experiences are the same, but other people have an understanding of what you're going through and you're not alone. And the support as well, you mentioned, you know, ways to heal support from family and friends. That sounds very, very important. Absolutely. My beagle helped me through everything. He was my biggest rock. Mm -hmm. And even getting counseling, you know, I got counseling. I was in counseling for three years and that was talk therapy. I went to EMDR to help reduce my triggers and that helped me immensely. What do you think was the biggest thing that you learned by going to counseling? That it could heal. That I could still be successful in life. That I could be in a loving relationship. And that I could use this experience to help other people. Thank you so much. I appreciate so much how You've been so open about your experience and you have really been striving to help others by even just your development as a therapist and uh, your willingness to speak out that that speaks volumes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and I hope to see you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Possibly in person. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>